Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a review. It's just a couple people talking about movies that they love. So each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with. We talk about the plot, the directors, and the actors, but we also just talk about the connection that that person has to that movie and, you know, how they grew up with it, why they relate to it so much, etc. It's just a fun discussion. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, keep listening. Hi, this is Lisa, and I have a guest here today. This is Michael. Michael, say hi. Hello there. Hey, and Michael, what uh, movie are we discussing today? Batman versus Superman, and I love this movie. Me too. I feel like this is going to be a controversial episode. Oh, and by the way, Nick is here too. I am here. He's here. I wanted Nick here because <laughs> he's, I think, a little bit better with like really specific details than I am, I'm and this movie has... Guy. Yeah, a lot of detail, so <laughs> I feel like I, we have a lot to dive into. <laughs> I, I will agree. I, th- I think that is probably most of the reason it gets so much shade thrown at it is that it's a very complex story. I agree, and, and, and I think there's a couple different camps of moviegoers, and some people really like complexity and some people do not, and that's kind of like you're saying, that's, that's what creates such a divide. Um, I will skip some of our questions that I sent you, such as, did you see this movie in theaters? I think we it's, all did. It's pretty new. <laughs> yes. No. Um, and, you know, we don't have to go over how old we were, our fond memories. It's recent enough that we can all recall it. <laughs> so I'll skip that part. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't quite a child last year, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Although I mean, okay. it was it wasn't until Blu-ray that I got to see the ultimate version, which I prefer. Same. I'm I'm gonna have to agree which with you be there. The version. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, Michael. We should kind of introduce you a little bit, like how we met and everything like that. Um, go ahead. Go ahead. If you want to well, start. I'm Michael Cross, and I I think we really met uh, when we had our picture taken together at Alcon. Yep. And then uh, got you out into heroic inner kids and, and yes. making kids happy with your Batgirl costume and your other wonderful costumes. Yes. Uh, in fact, Nick was the one that introduced us. He saw you. Uh, so for the viewers at home, that I'll put a picture in our group, but uh, Michael does a really amazing Alfred, and you almost never see Alfred cosplay, no. ever. I don't think I've ever seen another Alfred, actually, Michael, ever. I, I never thought about that when I put it together, and then that was all I heard was this is so great nobody does Alfred I went oh my gosh you're right I never thought about it (laughs) but Nick saw you and he just thought or you were like oh my gosh you have to meet my wife and immediately grabbed me and I think you were in your um I was in Batgirl regular yeah the the animated series the black and yellow one version and I was like and so yeah ever since then it's so crazy how sometimes you'll just meet somebody one night and then you know you become friends and so it's been really cool and I guess it's only fitting that we do a DC movie since that's kind of how we connected. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, DC is my favorite. I mean, if we're going to be controversial here, we might as well go all the way. <laughs> right. So. 
Um, let me do the synopsis really quick, because if I keep going, I'll just keep going and going. <laughs> I understand. But, okay, so here is the synopsis of Batman versus Superman, or BVS. Dawn of Justice. Dawn of Justice, yes. Thank you, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I would have forgotten that. <laughs> okay. Copyright it's, trademark. Exactly. It's been nearly two years since Superman's colossal battle with Zod devastated the city of Metropolis. The loss of life and collateral damage left many feeling angry and helpless, including crime-fighting billionaire Bruce Wayne. Convinced that Superman is now a threat to humanity, Batman embarks on a personal vendetta to end his reign on Earth, while the conniving Lex Luthor launches his own crusade against the Man of Steel. I think that's fair. It's, it's simplified, yeah. <laughs> but it's what happened. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, like we've talked before, this is a really complex movie. There's a lot going on, and that's okay. Uh, the, have you read the IMDb synopsis? Uh, no, I usually pick uh, – good question. I normally pick the uh, Wikipedia because it's so much shorter. <laughs> but let me look at the IMDb one. It's Sometimes actually shorter. I've got it right here. Okay. Why don't, uh, why don't you read it then? That's perfect. Fearing that the actions of Superman are left unchecked, Batman takes on the Man of Steel while the world wrestles with what kind of hero it really needs. Even shorter, all true, doesn't even touch the surface. Um, I guess I will start before we get into that with some quick facts. And if you have some quick facts, Michael, feel free to jump in. Um, I certainly will. Yay. <laughs> so the first one I have is that the voice modulator was actually suggested by Kevin Smith because he felt that Ben Affleck's voice was a little higher than um, Bruce Wayne's typically is, and he thought that would give him kind of like a distinctive edge when he's Batman. Had you heard that? I, I hadn't heard that. That's yeah. very cool. I, kind of, I also like the music of voice modulator rather than the Christian Bale, uh, I have throat cancer sound. So I agree. I think that um, – in today's world, it makes a little bit more sense when they do that, and they kind of they do that in Arrow too. On uh, the TV show, uh, Oliver Queen uses a voice modulator when he's Arrow, and I guess it can sound goofy sometimes, but really, it just it makes a lot more sense. And I mean, plus, if you think about it, I mean, Bruce Wayne has tech. Yes, I mean, it seems like he could spend a couple thousand dollars on something to change his voice so he doesn't have to make his voice sound like this the whole time. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Because what if he forgets to do that and someone's like, oh, wait, you're Bruce Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> He's Batman. He'll never forget. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> but, no, it's very true. As uh, Wayne Incorporated is a tech company, so, yeah, perfect that he would be using tech. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, let's see. I also have that Superman only has 42 lines of dialogue the whole movie, which I feel like rings very true because this movie, I guess because we already know who Superman is, it almost starts to feel like a Batman movie at some points. So, Well, this this is a Batman movie. Yeah. yeah I feel and like- it's funny. When it first was you know being announced and coming out, um, it was Superman 2, Man of Steel 2. Until um, we got a title, then the title came out, and it wasn't Superman versus Batman; it was Batman versus Superman. This is You're a tr- Batman movie because we start with a Batman origin story. Yeah, and I feel like they did it very well because, I mean, clearly they threw the the um, the death of his parents in there, but they didn't have to go through an entire origin story because why do you need to do an entire movie? On Batman's origin, we all know it by now. Yeah, 
Exactly. And this is taking place so much later. Yeah, like I think uh, career. there's a, a line, I think Alfred says it. I mean, he's been Batman 20 years at this point. So, I mean, he's he's established as Batman. So there's no need to show a full origin story if you're going to have that and then flash forward 20 years later to the, this point in the movie. Yeah, and I also, but I also do think because of events that will happen later in the film that having that original, you know, shooting of the parents yeah. was necessary yeah. to be there. To the point of it being a Batman movie, I will say that Batman is only said out loud once in the entire film. Uh, which is, is similar to what they had done in the Bale films. Yeah. It's never called Catwoman. The Joker's never yeah. called Joker. Yeah, it, it adds an element of realism because you probably wouldn't be saying Batman the whole time. I think they just call him Bats, and it's only said – the, mm-hmm, uh, uh, the Bat of Gotham or yeah. just Gotham Vigilante. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I the, think it's, it shows it in the paper one time. Yeah, and um, Clark's – I this is going to make me sound like such a fake nerd. Uh, Clark's uh, – Boss. What's Morpheus? More, yeah. <laughs> yeah well, he's, Morpheus. he's the only one that Cowboy says Curtis. Batman Great out loud. Caesar's ghost. It's Perry White. <laughs> Perry White. Okay, great. Cowboy Curtis. Um, <laughs> and Wonder Woman, um, just throwing that in there, is never said at all. So Yeah. But you, you just get the emblem that. on the, um, the file. Right. I'm not sure Wonder Woman is said in Wonder Woman. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't think, think so. so. I think it's just I've only seen it once, but I can't think of when they called her Wonder Woman. Um, now, yeah. There is one quick fact I want to throw out here. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Um, as a Batman film, this is extremely unique. This is the first film that Bill Finger is credited as a creator of Batman. Ah, oh, that's right. Hmm. Because oh, yeah, they won that, um, I think, lawsuit. There's a whole documentary about it on, uh, is it Hulu? Uh, it's on uh, Netflix. On Netflix, okay. And it's on Hulu, I believe. Okay. Both. Uh, Bill and me, and it's really worth watching, especially if you like an underdog story uh, yeah. about the little guy finally prevailing. It's it's very, very good. But this is the first film that he has had credit on. Wow. Um, the next person, or did you have any other quick facts you wanted to discuss? Um, well, yeah, yeah, quick facts, quirky things. There's some really nice lines about history and origin in there. Um, Perry White at one point in there when he says, uh, well, if this was 1938, well, of course, if this was 1938, that's the year Superman first appeared. Yeah. And uh, nice little touches like that to give history to the whole thing. I agree. I love that. I, you know, it's like there's Easter eggs all over this movie because there's just so much going on, and I really appreciate that. Oh, yeah, you pick stuff up every time you watch it. Oh, absolutely. Something new. And of course, this this film is our first time to see Wonder Woman. This is our first time to see the yeah. Flash, Aquaman, mm-hmm. Cyborg, little teeny clips of all of that. Part of so much going on in this film is they're setting up for Justice League. Yeah. Definitely. So let's discuss Zack Snyder a little bit. Um, I have to be honest with you and say that I used to kind of not be a fan and. I have a memory of somebody on my friends list specifically saying, I'm used to people not understanding Zack Snyder and his message and his work, so I'm not upset at all by you know people complaining about Man of Steel. People just don't get it. And I thought, oh, she, that girl that says that is a diehard fan, blah, blah. But I've actually come full circle, and I 100% agree with her. I think that a lot of times when people don't like 
his work and his messages, it, it is kind of like a misunderstanding. His, his movies are very, <clears throat> not overly complicated, but they are very, like, plot heavy. Yeah. Like, there's usually more than the main storyline going on. Oh, absolutely. But he's also extremely visual. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, Zack Snyder, he's, you know, 300, Watchmen, Sucker Punch, um, and the, the visually gorgeous films. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of liken him to a Tim Burton, or in some cases, even a Stanley Kubrick, in that he will let the visuals take over for the plot at times. That's exactly where, what I was going to say, where he, yeah. he shows you a picture and he goes, you know, look into this, take infer in. from it, figure it out. He gives you time to look at it and make a decision on your own. And people don't always like that. I mean, that to, to some people that comes across as confusing, not definitive. Um, and if you like that style of directing, like you had a really good example, Kubrick, um, then you will really like it. And if you don't like that, you will not like it. And people are typically polarized on directors like that. Uh, very much. He's, and he's also one that will throw something in there completely unexplained. And it's like, you're going to find out about that later. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And you better remember. <laughs> and exactly. You know, and if you that's don't, that's not so right. Point. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, he lists his uh, top three favorite movies as Star Wars, A New Hope, Clockwork Orange, and RoboCop, which, I mean, you can definitely see, like, the Kubrick connection, like you were saying. And actually, um, fun fact, The Shining, my favorite movie ever, when that came out, critics hated that movie. I mean, they, they ripped it apart. It was kind of like a sleeper success. And only now looking back on that movie have they... You know, has it gotten like a 90-something percent of Rotten Tomatoes? But when it first came out, people really didn't get it. Um, and that does happen. So, I mean, I, I'm not saying that will definitely happen with this movie, but I'm saying it's possible. Sometimes movies come out and they're at the wrong time or the wrong tone to what the general audience is looking for. And so it's only in retrospect that people like it. There are so many that way. Uh, Blade Runner wasn't a yep. huge hit when it came out. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life wasn't a huge hit when it came out. Wow. Uh, and yeah, it's something that grows on you, and as you watch it, and as you pick up more of what's going on, these movies start to resonate more with you. And I think they become more beloved rather than something that you watch and go, "That was great." Right. And then you stop and think about it and go, "That wasn't so great." Right. And I read, too, that James Cameron is actually a really big fan of uh, Zack Snyder and calls him an inspiration, in fact. So I think that says volumes. I mean, when other, you know, accredited directors that have a long, you know, history of successes Mm -hmm. can say, hey, I think this person is good. You know, it makes me feel a little better because I walked out of this movie you know, I walked into it kind of knowing the reviews, but I walked out of it just surprised because I was like, I thought that was really good. Yeah. And I was like, I don't think I'm an idiot. You know, <laughs> I think I like good movies. So it's something I, that I've kind of had to come to terms with, you know. Um, same here. I saw it in the theater first and I really, really liked it. And then it was watching the ultimate version that. I really love this uh, even more yeah. uh, as, as I saw it because I, I thought they fleshed out a little bit better and it was, you know, the characters were more defined and they just did a really good job. 
Yeah. Kind of like uh, you mentioned earlier, uh, Blade Runner. I think Zack Snyder tends to be a little bit like Ridley Scott with wanting his cuts of movies to be, you know, significantly longer than what's allotted, than what the studios want. But sometimes you really need that time to tell a full story. And there's just such so much pressure for these releases to shorten them. And it's kind of understandable. I mean, Warner Brothers is a really big property, DC is you know their baby and it's un- it, to, to a certain extent it's understandable but then at the same time if you're going to hire i think a director like Zack snyder it's like yeah they knew what they're getting themselves into right <laughs> <laughs> absolutely but then again it's like uh, making a film 10 minutes shorter 20 minutes shorter can mean an extra showing in the theater per day right which could be huge amounts of money and so mm-hmm. you know you can understand why they're doing it but you end up with a much better film if you give everything that you've got yeah but yeah, I really like Zack Snyder. Uh, Sucker Punch is one of my favorite films, and again, that's one that a lot of complex things going on, and it confuses mm-hmm. people. And it's like, well, just forget about that. Watch it for the incredible visuals, and then watch it later and catch it all. Yeah, I had to watch. I think Man of Steel. I think twice in in Watchmen too, because when I first saw Watchmen, I there were certain things about that movie that were left out that kind of bummed me out you know i also just plowed through the entire graphic novel right before we saw it yeah and so (laughs) i had i definitely had expectations but i think going back and watching it i mean just visually it is very faithful to the comic and it hits a lot of the emotional beats and just it captures how beautiful and violent and gritty it is how it could be all those things at the same time Mm -hmm. and so I mean, I don't know that there's a lot of other comic book movies. I haven't seen any that do that. And some of that is because you can take risks with those characters that Alan Moore wrote about because, you know, they're drawing from iconic characters, but they're not that character. So I think audiences are more okay with some of the violence and darker themes than they would be if Batman and Superman are doing it. But um, I think you can see, I guess, from that movie that um, Zack Snyder's willing to go there, you know. Uh, also, his his work in Watchmen. There there are frames in that movie that are exactly the panel from the comic book. Oh yeah, and they're gorgeous. Uh, yeah, just like uh, the owl ship rising out of the water. It's like this is identical to the comic book, and it's beautiful. Um, I, I really liked it, and the, the that you can't do that with those characters. Watchmen was originally supposed to be a whole different bunch of characters that DC had bought from someone else. Uh, and yeah, like the question Moore, and yeah. Yeah. After Moore wrote his story, they realized they were all going to be dead or most of them. Um, <laughs> DC said, no, no, uh, we just bought these. <laughs> we want to keep them. <laughs> so they changed them all to other people. Yeah. And that's why they resemble those other characters. Yeah. Um. Also, there's a big Watchmen connection between Batman versus Superman and Watchmen. Uh, yeah. Jeffrey Dean Morgan, who had been uh, the comic, is Thomas Wayne. Yeah. Um, unseen, but you hear his voice. Patrick Wilson, who was Night Owl, is the voice of the president. Uh, he is also going to be playing Orm in uh, Aquaman. Yes, yes. And then Carla uh, Gugino, I think her name is said. Uh, she was the original Silk Spectre in Watchmen, and she is the voice of the AI aboard the Kryptonian ship. Hmm. And um, I forget his name, but uh, he was—he's recent. Uh, Doctor Manhattan is oh, yeah. going to be Henry Allen in the Flash. 
Oh, very cool. Awesome. Yeah, I, I do also mm-hmm. like one another, I think, mark of a good director is that his team is so loyal to him. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he carries yeah. a lot of the same actors to other films, and that's something I hear all the time is that the actors themselves say that he's such a genuine person that he's so passionate so great to work with i mean they're pretty they're pretty protective of him especially when this movie came out you'll see the same thing with both burton and kubrick you see stars in their films all the way through that show up again and again and again because they like working with him for sure uh, let's see. I was thinking maybe we could talk a little bit about Ben Affleck. We talked about him at the top of um, of this interview. Let's see. Uh, just a couple quick facts about him. Oldest actor to portray Batman uh, on screen, at least. And oldest Batman we have seen portrayed on screen. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's something that general audiences, even though he, they say that in the film, I think that's one thing that people miss because I've had friends – that saw this movie or I've seen, you know, comments on this movie about, you know, Batman being too angry about him being to this, to that. And it's like, you got to remember, this is him 20 years from the inception of Batman. So (laughs) if we're supposed to go along with, um, Snyder's visuals, I mean, Batman is like, if they go here, he's torn up because Jason Todd has just been killed. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I figure, I, I think that has happened probably in the last few years previously uh, to what's going on now. So it's not... There's hints of even more stuff having gone on in this yeah. movie, if you're paying attention. Yeah, you do see the uh, the Robin suit mm-hmm. with the Jokers riding on it. So he has lost a Robin. Yep. Uh, we assume it's Jason Todd because that would... Makes sense. Yeah. I think Zach confirmed it was too, it which that re- that was okay. a relief to me because I was like, "Don't we let might that be." Get to see Red Hood later. <laughs> yeah, it's at least possible. Yeah, but, but there's also, if you'll notice, uh, Batman is living in a boathouse. Yeah, yeah. No, Wayne Manor's already Wayne Manor is destroyed, and so we haven't got that story on film yet, but it's there. And then him talking with Alfred, you know, so how many have we lost? How many have stayed good? He's been through a lot. This is a Batman you've never seen on film before. Mm-hmm. This guy has just been beaten, and he's changed. He's, he's branding people, even though he knows that's going to mean they get killed when they go to prison. Uh, he's off the rails. He's just gone, as Alfred says, this turns good men cruel. Yeah, and what's interesting to me is I've heard really big fans of Batman not be okay with that. And what's strange to me is that if you read, I think some of uh, Frank Miller's... Out of his wheelhouse. Yeah, it's like I've read more than one telling of Batman that specifically talks about this part of his life Mm -hmm. where all this stuff has happened and he's just about to lose it. And it's like, I'm totally okay with that. I, I understand from the audience's perspective, all I will say on that part of it is that because we didn't get a movie of him going through this transition... I can see why general audiences may not pick up on it because they only touch on it a little bit. But I also don't think it's inconsistent with the character. I think that there's been several story arcs where Batman has that ultimate question of, is this working? Because, I mean, yeah. in every Batman story, Gotham generally gets worse. <laughs> I, I, feel know, better. <laughs> I feel like in this this version, it's, uh, it's 20 years later, so it's kind of like all the other Batman movies, even though they're not necessarily connected it's kind of like oh that's already happened yeah batman has been hopeful in the past and now he's just 
He's older. He can... I mean, it's essentially like one of my favorite movies, Judge Dredd. It's useless to go out there. They can prevent 0.8% of crimes, but they still do it, you know? And that's made him very bitter, but he still does his job. And this is very much taken off of uh, The Dark Knight Returns. Right. I mean, even the Uh, look. And and the mech suit. Yeah. The whole fight between Batman and Superman. I mean, he's clearly pulling, like I said earlier, he's pulling from Miller's Batman. Very much so. And, yeah, this this Batman is just, he's done. (laughs) He's got it. Uh, Yeah, villains are like weeds. They come right back. Um, And I think that's part of what drives him towards, I can really make a difference with this super godlike figure who has shown Mm up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, if you read those... Frank Miller comics, I mean, the more they go on, in fact, they kind of go off the rails to where yeah. fans were like, oh, okay, like, <laughs> I think at one point he has, like, Robin eating rats in the Batcave, and, you know, yeah, it, was, yeah. it was too far, but but either way, it's not outside of the realm of possibility for Batman, and I, I think that, you know, again, that criticism of it is a little unfair, and then also, just in general, Ben Affleck, as you mentioned earlier, I mean, I think... I've gone back and watched like the uh, the Batman animated series and have been just surprised by how similar the way Bruce Wayne is in that to how Ben Affleck plays him. Like the smirk, the charm, like it's really close. Um, well, and I remember the animated series when it first appeared and watching the first episode and going, this is a lot darker than I thought a cartoon was going to be. Oh, yeah. Um. You know, I was expecting Super Friends again, and it's <laughs> wow, this is really nice and dark. This is cool. Yeah. And I think he, he even kind of looks like him. I don't know. It's just weird. Like, Nick and I watched it recently, and we were like, kind of looks like Ben Affleck. And I mean, like, even those scenes where he's doing the Bruce Wayne smirk. Yeah, I mean, it, so you yeah. can see that Ben's doing a conscious effort to go back to the source material. And when you really think about it, a lot of the other uh, Bruce Waynes, even Batman, but mainly Bruce Wayne, it's not really who that character is. Like, mm-hmm. the Bruce Wayne we get in the Nolan movies, it's great. I love those movies. That's not who he is in the comics, though. I feel like the Batman... <laughs> I love the Nolan trilogy. Yeah. The Batman is great, but Christian Bale as Bruce Wayne is... Eh. Uh, and as much as I love the Keaton films... Yeah. Yeah. I've got to say, I never liked his Bruce Wayne. Yeah, I mean, um, he, he doesn't. He acts in, like crazy, unhinged, although, unstable. And, and he, well, and <laughs> although he, wasn't, he, was, he wasn't the millionaire playboy, uh, you know, smirking Bruce Wayne. He was this forgetful, didn't know where he was guy. Um, <laughs> and it's, I think the only guy who nailed Bruce Wayne down until Beck, Ben Affleck was uh, Val Kilmer. But yeah. I hated his Batman. <laughs> it was like, this is the first time I've seen both of them, one guy hitting both of them note on it's just perfect right. yeah um ben affleck i think like i said i think because of that the daredevil connection people forget that i mean when he wrote uh goodwill hunting he was the youngest uh person to ever win an oscar for writing like yeah I mean, and his, his work directing argo yeah, yeah. Amazing. in it is just amazing I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of him I, I was really happy when they cast him yeah, and I and I'll admit that I I was hesitant to see him as Batman. I was won over by Argo, like you mentioned. Thought that movie was great. Thought he was great in it. Um, haven't seen The Town, but that's another one that you know has done really well. 
Um, so I, I trusted him with this role. I mean, I think sometimes we kind of stereotype people and we forget what all the things they've actually done, you know? <laughs> and so like, we he's can... also great in, in Gone Girl. Is oh yeah. 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 The Fincher wonderful. film. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, but yeah, I really love this movie and I'll say 90% of the reason I love this movie is Ben Affleck's performance, both as Wayne and Batman. Yeah, and I think yeah. after it came out, as much as people didn't like the movie, they had to admit he was pretty good in it. So That's <laughs> funny because almost everybody goes, oh, God, no, Affleck, Affleck. Later, oh, I didn't like the movie. I thought Affleck was good. <laughs> yeah. Like, Hold it. Weren't you the one screaming that he was going to be terrible? <laughs> For Henry Cavill, let's talk about him a little bit. I read that Stephanie Meyer based Edward Cullen in the Twilight Zone novels on him, which doesn't do much for me because I don't like those movies Twilight or books. Novels. Yeah, that's yeah. that's not a recommendation. Uh, <laughs> I would read Twilight but Zone novels. I guess he was, you know, <laughs> handsome enough to inspire them. Like, you know, I guess that stands for something. He also tried out to be James Bond, but they said he was too Didn't young. They say he was too young at the time. Yeah. Uh, and he, he did do the uh, Man, Man Uncle. Man yep, Uncle, yeah. exactly. I guess that's how he got. We were that just gig. talking about that the other day. It's like maybe now he could do, like maybe I think they've already got the next James Bond picked out, but maybe the next next one he could do it. <laughs> <laughs> Until it's yeah, Roger Moore in a wheelchair doing <laughs> James Bond. Right. Uh, he's the first non-American actor to ever play Superman on screen. Ah, uh, that I did not know. That's yeah. pretty cool. Um, so also, let's see, I have that uh, Henry Cavill worked on as an extra on A Beautiful Mind where he met um, – oh, gosh, what's his name? Okay. He worked on – he worked as an extra on A Beautiful Mind where he met Russell Crowe who kind of – he struck up a conversation with him and Russell Crowe actually gave him a box of gifts and included a signed picture from Gladiator. And it said that um, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step to kind of inspire him. And – uh, Gladiator is his favorite movie ever, and Russell Crowe plays his dad. In exactly. This movie. Yeah. So it's a weird connection. Full circle. Full uh, circle. I, I'm not a fan of Man of Steel. Um, no worries. It, it, it just it plods a little bit too much for me. I, there's a lot of stuff I like in it, but I'm not a real fan. But uh, I thought it was interesting. My two favorite characters in it were the two dads. Yeah. I thought they yeah. were the most interesting thing going on in the film. So, Man of Steel, Man from Uncle, and I didn't remember Henry Cavill was in The Count of Monte Cristo. I have to go back and watch that. Do you remember that movie? It came out... I don't uh, remember him being in it. Yeah, I remember um, the guy that played and Jesus. And Passion of Christ? He may have been. Uh, the, definitely the character that plays... Jesus in that in that movie, Passion Christ, is also, but that's not the same guy, is it? I think, I think it's a it different. Was. Really? How did I forget that? Are you looking it up? No. Yes. Oh. oh, I'm not. <laughs> I look over and Nick's just playing. <laughs> uh, Passion of Christ, IMDb. I think it's Jim Cavazell as Jesus. Oh, yes, you're correct. Yeah. Okay, but yeah, they have kind of not the same sounding name, but they're around the same age and. Yeah, and then of course we have Jesse Eisenberg. As oh yeah, Lex Luther. Um, I remember people going, "Jesse Eisenberg is Lex Luther, the the, the ner- nerdy kid." It's like, did you see him in Social Network? Yes, yeah. he could be a a horrible, <laughs> wonderful villain. 
I the think funny so. thing is, I feel like people are like, oh, that kid. It's like, but he's not a kid anymore. I mean, he's. I think he looks. He has like a look that's very unique, so he can play he's younger. Only, isn't he only like a couple years younger than Henry Cavill. Yeah, I think he. I think he has like kind of a unique look where he can kind of play younger than he actually is. Um, uh, but he also, I really think that again, kind of like with Superman, I think Lex Luthor is going through like a, a character arc in this movie. It's like you're you're wanting him to be the Lex Luthor that we know from like. Uh, the comics and from, you know, I think of uh, Unlimited, uh, Just, Justice, uh, League, Justice Unlimited. Yeah. League Unlimited, yeah. But I think they're trying to play it a little bit more psychological, like to give him real motivation that Lex Luthor would actually need to have, I think, to be so at odds with Superman other than just being jealous. It's like the whole, um, I feel like the whole authority like, problem. Yeah, the father yeah. issue and then he, obviously he's going to dislike this person that has the most powerful person on earth. Exactly. Yeah, he's God. He has yeah. a problem with God. He's angry yeah. at God because of what happened to him. And this he says is, that. <laughs> this is a God he can do something about. Right. And he's, uh, he's Lex Luthor Jr. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, no, I'm not the Lex on the building. That was dad. Um, yeah. I really like his performance in this. And I, I really like him as an actor, period. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zombie land, <laughs> yeah. Uh, just, just on and on. I just really have enjoyed his work. I I think the first thing that I ever saw him in was actually told by my uncle, who is you heard him in the Blade Runner episode. He told me to watch um, the Squid and the Whale. It was a small independent film, and he yes. and he said, you know, he's like Lisa, you need to watch this movie because that guy is going to be a huge star. And I went and saw it and. That's exactly what happened. So, yeah, don't <laughs> be difficult, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> I guess uh, we should. Uh, I don't. I don't know. Like how how long we want to go on. I don't want to take up too much of your time, Michael. But I mean, we could we could kind of go through the timeline of it. Or if you prefer something a little shorter, we could also do like your favorite scenes. Just shotgun it wherever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> However you want to do it. I think we do a combination of both. We'll okay. Uh, time is no problem for me. Okay. Cool. Uh, well. It, the film starts off with the the short origin story. Mm-hmm. You get the parents being shot, uh, young Bruce at the funeral, remembering when there were you know perfect days, and the uh, you know, the falling down, the bats, the whole origin stuff, which which becomes very very necessary because um, right after that we go into two years earlier with right. Superman destroying Metropolis. Mm-hmm. And I love the scene where Bruce Wayne saves the little girl. Yeah. And then it's like, we're going to find your mommy. Where is she? And she points up to the Wayne building, which is just in shatters. Yeah. And this is something. He knows that pain. Oh, yeah. He's Mm -hmm. lost his parents. He he knows that. And that becomes really important later on in the film. It it really does. And I I also think... uh, one comment I want to make, two comments. Number one, I've noticed that a lot of people, when they explain this movie or reviews I've read, um, they have a really hard time distinguishing between what is a dream, what is a memory, and what is a vision. Have you noticed that when you talk to people? To me, it's clear, but yeah. it's not clear to everybody, I've noticed. And so the beginning is both a memory and a dream. Mm-hmm. Because, Absolutely. you know, the rising up is, is a dream. It's metaphoric, but his parents dying, I mean... That was a memory, 
you know, and, and so he even tells Alfred, I had the dream again last night. Right. And, but I, but I think it happens so quickly that people sort of forget, but I think that we'll be able to tell by talking about this movie, what is a dream? What isn't? So yeah, that one was a dream, but also, um, the next scene that you're talking about with the destruction of, uh, Metropolis, I really like this scene because it's intentionally very reminiscent of nine 11 yeah, with the smoke going through the, the street. Absolutely. And it, it, with the cops running, the, the cloud lifting. I mean, I thought that was such a powerful visual. And I was really surprised right after it happened, you know, people were just saying such terrible stuff about this movie and sort of glossed over that. Nobody was really talking. It's only been a little bit after that and since then that people brought that up. But I thought that's a really interesting dynamic to pull into those into that movie. I mean, something that... At least most of us, I guess our age and then your age as well, Michael, like we remembered that, you know. And this is a, a, it's a game changer. It's a, it's an event that he's lost someone who is obviously a good friend of his who he's on the phone with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, His, his building is, and then there's this little girl and who's just lost a parent and he knows that. And what's, what do you see? It's Superman. Mm-hmm. Flaking through the air with Zod, there is there is a blame for this. There's right. where I there's where I put my anger right there, and that sets up so much of the rest of the film. Yeah, but also that even at this point here, there's one thing I think they kind of left out of the film, and Zach said, "Well, you're going to find it out later, and you have to remember." And I think it would have made things a lot clearer. Because as much as I love this movie, I don't think it is without fault. Mm-hmm. If you go in from the very beginning knowing that Lex knows who Batman and Superman are yeah. from the very beginning, it becomes so much clearer. Because, yes, Batman puts his blame on Superman right there, but he's also being pushed by Lex towards a battle with Superman. Right, they he both are. Yeah, he doesn't actually do anything about it until a few months later. Because I, I was reading the timeline, it's like 18 months or something like that after this is when BBS actually takes place. So what you're seeing in the beginning is like, you know, a flashback almost. And then now in present day, it's been several months. So it's not like Batman you, saw that you immediately. Have Lex later on saying, and it took so little, a few letters, you killed my, your family. Yeah. yeah. But it's like Lex has been manipulating this all along. And he's because also, he knows who they both are. He's right. also been, uh, even before he met uh, Wallace, before he even like showed up at his, his apartment, he'd been uh, messing with him also, altering his checks. Uh-huh. So, but again, that's just something that, uh, it, it, that influences driving Batman towards wanting to battle Superman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then on the other side... He is setting Superman up to fall in public opinion by setting up the whole thing in the desert. Mm-hmm. Yes. That Lois investigates and finds out from the bullet. And that's a lot of very complex plot stuff that y- you have to watch and really pay attention to catch what's going on here. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, they even included a, or the, the, the original cut doesn't have it, but the extended edition even hints at like the court of owls i mean the talons yeah like there's so much happening in that scene and the theatrical cut takes a lot out of it like that whole scene is i want to say 
that entire part of the movie is probably cut in half in the theatrical version. Which makes it more confusing to a casual watch. Right. Yeah. And so I, I think a lot of people did watch this once in the theater and it confused them and they went, I don't like this. Yep. And, you know, that's why you got so much shade off of it. But watch it again and pay attention and it's like, wow, there's so much going on here. This is just so great. Yeah. Yeah, I like movies where that have that, where I have to go home and, like, really think about it. And I understand that not everyone likes that. And that's a pretty big risk to take in a superhero movie because superhero movies are supposed to kind of be – for everyone. They punch and the so, bad guy to win. That being said, I, I appreciate it. Yeah. And I thought that Wonder Woman, the, the new movie, does a really good job of doing both of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I still really love this movie anyway. Yeah, I, I loved Wonder Woman completely. But it is a much more straightforward, here are bad guys, <laughs> here are good guys. And, you know, even with the twist at the end. Right. It's still, you know... The, May not have been the bad guy, but was definitely a bad guy. So you have a, a pretty straightforward thing. And this is kind of blurring those lines all the way around. You know, is Batman a good bi- guy or a bad guy? We've always been criminals, Alfred. Uh, right. Is Superman a good guy or a bad guy? He's getting set up here. Um, he wouldn't have shown up in the desert if Lois wasn't there, but Lex absolutely knew that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a clash of ideologies, and um, I think sometimes that can get lost. Like, because there's so much going on, people might not see that that's, like, kind of the core of the story, is that it's just two different people that see each other's motivations differently. And, you know, Batman sees Superman as someone who's, you know, in an arbitrary way deciding what's right and wrong. He's using his heart, and Batman doesn't do that, and so... Yeah, and there's a conflict he, he there. He is being worshipped as a god. Uh, you see yeah. it in that scene down in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Where he oh, sleeps. I love that scene. And oh. the, they're praying to him. They are worshipping him. There's no doubt about it. And, I mean, there's tons of, in, in Man of Steel and in this movie, there's just constant religious imagery. Lisa Be- heard, oh, yeah. found a, a neat fact about that scene. So there's a scene where um, Superman is saving that little girl from the building and everyone's painted like Dia de los Muertes. And um, a fan had a theory that they shared with Zach that this was parallel to the scene uh, from Man of Steel where uh, Superman has a dream and he's covered in skulls and that maybe these skulls represent the people that died in the battle with Zod. And Zack Snyder said yes. And again, it's just one of those things that I really appreciate about these movies is there's some really powerful scenes in them that you really have to kind of think about. I mean, I thought, you know, when his cape kind of looks a little messianic, you know, when he's coming down and they're worshiping him like he's Jesus. And there's constant references to him being a savior. But that's just like another little connection. And like you're saying, Michael, I mean, that that is a big conflict between him and Bruce is Bruce is like, but you're not. You're not a god. (laughs) You're an alien. And men are brave. Uh, You're not brave. But yeah, you're right. He he has that line where he says, "Men, you know, you're not brave. Men are brave." I think that kind of touches on their core differences right there. You know, it's like um, Superman is uh, he's not discouraging (laughs) the (laughs) idea that he's being worshipped, and Batman has a really big problem with that. That great scene with Neil deGrasse Tyson, 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. About how this affects our place in the universe. Uh, we're not alone. There he is. There's proof. Yeah, I, I like that line too. Like, uh, should Superman? Uh, should there? Must there be a Superman? And then, uh, oh, yeah, Senator Finch is like, yeah, there is. There is, yeah. and. I think that um, this idea of bringing this uh, religious imagery into it is also to set the stage for this is going to get bigger than just the earth even. You yeah. know, it, it sets the stage for we're going to be fighting threats from outside. Um, and that is all then brought very clear at the end with the scene with Lex. Yeah, and and um, and yeah, I really like that about it. Let's see, so... Let's see. At this point in the story, we've talked about the the battle with Zod, um, uh, Lex Luthor's involvement, uh, the desert scene. Um, oh, we haven't touched on the second big dream, which is that vision that. Oh, because we haven't gotten to the gala yet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, Bruce is invited to a gala instead of having to sneak in as Batman. He's invited as Bruce Wayne. Um, on purpose. Yeah, on purpose. Uh, yes, set up by Lex, but pointed out by Alfred. <laughs> yeah. You've got nowhere as Batman. Bruce Wayne's going to get you there. Exactly, yeah. So he um, he goes to the gala, and at the same time that all these things are happening, uh, Wonder Woman, uh, Diana Prince, is also there looking for um, a photo. And in this movie, we don't know the significance of that photo. We know that it's photographic evidence that she's over 100 years old, but we don't know what part that plays in the overall story yet. But what she discovers is not just her photo, but a series of files that Lex Luthor has on all the metahumans. And the metahuman thesis. Yeah. <laughs> all, all the ones he knows of. Exactly. Yeah, yeah true. And uh, so, you know, this is where... Bruce and Clark Kent finally have their big confrontation. And I think also the first real confirmation that Luther knows exactly who both of them are is this party scene. Yeah. Or Although it isn't entirely clear. Uh, what a strong grip. You would not want to pick a fight with that man. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's like, oh, that's very funny if he doesn't know. It's really evil if he does. Yeah, and you can kind of interpret it both ways. But yeah, yeah I feel. I feel like in he retrospect, does because like he, he specifically invited Bruce Wayne and Clark Kent. And Clark Kent wasn't like the main There's, reporter that he could have invited. It probably would have been Lois, really. Yeah, yeah, and he, well, it's obviously uh, Clark doesn't do the social beat. He mm-hmm. doesn't know who Bruce Wayne is. Um. So, yeah, it's definitely set up by Lex. There's no doubt about that. But it's still, it, it just, that's uh, one of the flaws of Zach. It's like, yeah, you'll figure it out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if he would have put it in a little clearer, I think people would have understood the movie a little better. I agree. I agree. There's a lot here that we're kind of dissecting and talking about, and it's um, it's clear to us. And we have seen it on multiple viewings, and we have all seen the extended cut, so I think that mm-hmm. definitely and plays so into that's it. That's we get it completely clear at the end. Mm-hmm. When he's talking to Superman on top of the building and uh, you know, giving off names of God, Jehovah, da-da-da, Clark, Joseph, Kent. So obviously he knows there. And then later in the prison scene with Batman, Wayne family manners. It's like, obviously yeah. he knows exactly who they are, but you don't get absolute confirmation of that until the end of the movie. 
Yeah, after this uh, gala scene, which actually I think I do want to mention, I really love the interaction between Bruce and Diana in this scene. I thought it set a really cool stage for their dynamic. And then also just, it was just a great introduction to Wonder Woman, too. Before you see her big reveal, it's like, I love that line of, you know, I don't think you've ever known a woman like me. Yeah, I think that was... That was the second, second party. Oh, the second yeah. party. Okay, you're right. Uh, yeah, where she ahead. returns thing. Uh, yeah, boys don't like to share. Um, but I really love the scene with the uh, curator. This is the sword that cut the Gordian knot, and yeah. then Bruce going, "It's not real." Yeah, they both know exactly where the real one is. It's like that's cool. Yeah, that was a good scene. Yeah, sorry, I jumped ahead. Okay, so <laughs> okay. <laughs> It's easy to because there's just so much going on. So let's see. Um, so, yeah, so Batman decrypts the drive at his Batcave after that second party, right? Yeah, because she, she gives it back to him. Yeah, she's like, yeah, men and their toys, which is funny because he uses only toys. Yeah, that's really <laughs> all he has is his smarts and his gadgets. Which which is my, my favorite scene from the preview for... Justice League. What is your superpower yeah. again? Rich. <laughs> She's just honest now. <laughs> yeah. Again, injecting that wit that we don't always get to see with uh, Bruce. But um, yeah, so at, at the end of the second party, he decrypts uh, the drive, and that's the setup for all the uh, players that are going to be in Justice League The Flash, Aquaman, and Wonder Woman, which I really Cyborg. loved. Oh, Cyborg, too. Yep, I forgot Cyborg. Um, and also another hint at the mother box, because it seems like in this universe, Cyborg comes from the mother box. But again, it's like uh, Zack Snyder gives you little hints. He doesn't exactly hold your hand and tell you exactly what you're looking at, but that's kind of what we're inferring. Yeah, and, the, and, the, the and then we kind of get another hint. I mean, clearly that the, uh, the mother box um, became uh, biomechanical and, and built Cyborg, but we also get another hint in the... Uh, the Justice League trailer where his dad, I guess, is in the his house or apartment or whatever, and you see the mother box activating, and there's one of the parademons behind him also. Oh, yeah, and so this, this kind of leads into um, Bruce has a dream uh, when he's he's decrypting it about... Now, I don't think this one's a dream. I think this is a vision. I, I agree. The Flash is showing him the future. But it's one of those uh, scenes I, I that you could interpret it I either way. A combination of all of the above. Yeah. yeah. I think you have both a, a, a he is dream asleep. going on. Yeah, yeah, because he wakes up from it. But I think there's a dream going on. There is an actual visitation from the Flash, from the future, it and could, there is a, a vision of things to come. Yeah, it could be, too, that maybe they picked that moment in time to visit him because that's when he was starting to really put it together. And mm-hmm. so he's having this dream, and it's interrupted by a vision. But um, I was kind of explaining to somebody that was watching this movie that that scene that's post-apocalyptic that some people have called it just thrown in there. Mm. It's not. Uh, And it's very possible. Like if you read a lot of the comics, injustice for sure. Yeah. Injustice or uh, the red sun. I'm really hoping I'm like crossing my fingers. I hope they do go an injustice route, mainly because when Barry is telling him, he's like, you are always right about him. Lois is the key. And in the Injustice comic, 
the death of Lois it what is what sends Superman over the edge, and he essentially just declares martial law on the entire planet. Yeah, exactly. And- but there's also the uh, the ambiguity of that with the Flash saying, "Am I too early?" Oh, yeah. I didn't catch that. Okay. Yeah, like, yeah it's that like because he's not sure where he's hitting him in time. Mm. Barry's got that problem. <laughs> yeah, the flash. But what's funny is like the first viewing of that, it was kind of before Nick was as invested in the flash show. I, I think, think our TV quality is just better. Yeah, because when true. we rewatch it on our TV, it's like super 4K and everything, and you can clearly tell that it's. Barry. Uh, but, but there were two things that Nick walked out of that movie that I mentioned that he, he was like, huh? Was uh, Robin being dead? Because they really only show you the the suit for a very short amount of time and it, it it like sends off light bulbs in anybody that has read a lot of the comics and knows that he dies. But I mean, you know, not everyone knows that that's watching these movies. And then number two, the Flash appearance. You have to know that the Flash time travels. I mean, you have to right. be, like, aware of who he is. And so when that happened, I mentioned that those two things. And I even listened to some reviews from other podcasters that aren't really, like, as invested in the DC universe. And they said things like, what was that about and who was that guy? Whereas to me, I was like, oh, that's the Flash. But it's, like, it's not 100% clear. I don't know if that was intentional or not. I think Snyder wanted it to be more clear than it actually was. I don't know. I feel so, like may- maybe it should have been. But it's kind of like... This is a hint, but I'm going to save the flag for Justice League. Yeah, that's true. I think that's exactly what it really is, is the, uh, it's like, yeah, this is, it, it's it's visually fantastic, that entire scene. Yeah, that uh, was With the great. kind of steampunk-looking Batman and the, the big battle and the flying creatures coming in and everything is wonderful. And it's like, no, I, I'm not explaining this at all, because that's to come later. Yeah, yeah, and the well, only you thing you have to wait for it, and it's here, and enjoy it, and watch it, and like it, and no, you're just gonna have to figure out how it works into the story. And you know, we've we've already sat here and gone through three or four. What could this be? Right. So, I mean, that's great. It, it gives you something to talk about. It gives you something to look forward to and wonder about. One thing I'm really looking forward to is uh, in that scene. The um, he starts off fighting like men, and then the. Um, the actual parademons start flying in and we, I know I'm, I'm jumping around, but we no, can no, tell no. from the justice league trailer, it is going to be, they're going to be fighting heavily the parademons. Yeah. Which is what makes and me think it's a vision. I'm really thinking when flash first comes to, uh, to Bruce in that scene, I wonder if that's going to, that actual scene is going to happen in justice league. I think so. Because it's definitely sure. from the future. Because when it's Barry meets Bruce. Looking for Kryptonite, obviously. Yeah. Which is something he's already thinking of doing. Because he's been looking for the uh, the ship, the white Portuguese. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're right. Because he sees Kryptonite coming in. And he is already thinking of getting Kryptonite. And that may be weighing on his mind and kind of causing this weird dream that is also being influenced by Flash trying to tap into him at the same time. Yeah. And he's visions of the future mixed with stuff that's going on right now. And then it's like, bam, no, now it's the Flash yelling at him. <laughs> right. And then back, back into consciousness again. But I like that it's unexplained. Yeah, I liked... Um... 
I, I know there was a lot of uh, talk about what those winged creatures were. And I think not knowing that they were the parademons, I assumed that they were like, you know, the soldiers had the Superman symbol and the other people yeah. were like maybe bat people. Like I was kind of confused as to what was going on. Because he had and a then, few buddies in that fight. Yeah. But they died pretty quick. But then in the Justice League trailer, I mean, they show you the parademons, and that's what they were. And I was like, oh, that's such a cool thing to put in that movie. And now that made me cast doubt on, you know, is it a dream? Is it a vision? Is it both? But it's funny because when you talk to people that aren't dissecting these dreams kind of like we are right now, they feel like those dreams are just distracting, confusing, frustrating. And I don't see them that way. I see them as prophetic, uh, foreshadowing, and interesting, which is, I think, what they were meant to be. So it's kind of just how you view it. It's going to pay off later. Yeah, exactly. Uh, You're not going to get the answer in this movie. This is a series of movies. This is a universe that's being built. Mm -hmm. And it's not all going to come together at once. I might be jumping ahead, but the other dream vision he has, where he's at the, the, the Wayne catacombs pretty much, and the um, that creature comes out of uh, breaks out of the the tomb. Do you think they're hinting? Are we going to get man bat? I feel like that was a dream. <laughs> I I do think yeah. that was a dream. But if they yeah, throw man bat in there, I, I'd be fine. Because you've seen that imagery in uh, Dark Knight Returns. Yes. Yeah. It was a callback the, the to that. that. That is like stalking him and pulling him to do this, and that is a recurring dream of Bruce's. Yeah. Of becoming a monster because that's what yeah. he's struggling with. Is he really a good person? Is he doing the right thing by branding people, becoming more brutal, or is he just turning into a monster? I think that's like part of what he's struggling with in the movie. Uh, which again, the the Alfred line uh, turns good men cruel, and Bruce is like, "We've always been criminals." And, right. Uh, I'm just going to accept that now. That you know, I'm not necessarily the good guy. Yeah, which is a big turning point for him because you know he's very well, I, righteous and very big turning point at the end back the other way exactly mm-hmm. yeah and that's the point of the movie which again i think that sometimes people walk in this movie there you know they say it's too dark it's too this it's too that well it has to be pretty dark for these two characters to fight each other you know i would say and then secondly um it, it's a story arc he's gonna come back around and by the end yeah. of the movie he does and Superman sacrifices what brings him back around. He needed to see all that happen in order for him to like have this uh, moment of realizing what he's really here to do. You know, it gives him new purpose. Yeah, it's kind of like it jump starts Batman all over again, and he's ready. Uh, to... you know, I, I let him down in life. I won't let him down in death. That he's he's come back to. Okay, I'm here for a reason, and what I do is good work, and I'm not the criminal. Yeah. yeah. He seems to be, always be motivated by someone's death, but yes, <laughs> it's just part of Batman. Um, now, one yeah. thing we haven't touched on yet. What? Um, we kind of got there to where he he finds out that the uh, the white Portuguese is actually a ship, uh-huh. and he goes there, and he targets the the container with the mineral in it, and then I think another character in the movie is. The new Batmobile. Oh yeah, the yes. Batmobile's cool. That scene was awesome. That was good. <laughs> uh, even I, now, interestingly enough, I think again Lex has got a hand in this. Mm-hmm. Lex Actually, wanted him to steal 
the kryptonite. Yeah, I think it Superman made stops it able. If you take Superman out of the way, that he is no longer in the equation, and you have Doomsday, what's going to stop the world? You? Right. right. You essentially have a Superman under your control. Well, that didn't really work out. Well, he out. thought it would be under his control. Yeah. Because he <laughs> it. it didn't quite work out that way, which is another uh, great scene where Doomsday is, is headed towards Lex and Superman saves Lex. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, says tons about Superman, even yeah. though it's, it's Lex Luthor who just tried to kill his mother and everything else. He saves him and goes after Doomsday. Oh, yeah. And I mean, it's kind of like a Frankenstein's monster thing, you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, it, it, yeah, it's like there's there's a lot going on in the in the movie, I think, than, than people kind of pick up on. And again, it is through a couple viewings, usually, that you pick up on that stuff. Um, so, yeah, Nick and I are gushing. So, <laughs> we're going to turn it over to you, Michael. What scene do you want to talk about next? <laughs> um, it, probably the one that got lambasted the most... Uh, but it's absolutely my favorite scene in the movie. And it's it's the Martha scene. Uh, no. Uh, is it the scene uh, where he realizes, or are you talking about where she's getting saved? Where Batman and Superman have had the big battle. Oh, okay, okay, yep. Uh, they're, yeah. Finally, Batman has Superman on the ground. He's got the kryptonite spear. He's cut him on the face. And he, he's ready to kill him. And Superman says they're going to kill Martha. And Batman loses it. It's like, well, why did you say that name? Why did you say that name? And people were like, oh, what? Because their mothers have the same name. All of a sudden, they're best friends. And it's like, no, you're missing everything that's going on here. Mm-hmm. Uh, he hears the name Martha. And remembers why he's Batman in the first place. Right, yeah. And I think they set that up. It's weird. I was listening to a review of this movie one time. And they complained about the rehashing the origin in the beginning. And they totally missed that, like, that was the reason for it. That is a key. That is a plot point. It's not just an origin. Like, little, oh, we got to do it because it's Batman. That is a key plot point that is going to show up two hours later. Right. Exactly. And that's why I'm saying you had to put that in there yeah. because you needed that to, because that's what triggers all of a sudden. He remembers why I'm Batman in the first place. Because, and then she goes, it's his mother's name. And it's like, it both humanizes Superman mm-hmm. yeah. to him. He has a mother. Right. He's and not just an alien he, or a god, he has right. a connection. And he remembers why he's Batman and how off the rails he's been from what he started off as. Right. And then, yes, they do become teammates at that point in time. <clears throat> With I promise you, Martha will live. Yeah. Like, Go here and do that because I can't. <laughs> you need to be there at the Kryptonian ship. I'll save your mother. Well, plus the scene where he saves his mom, it's very, like, cathartic for him because, I mean, he couldn't save his mom. But then he here save, he swoops yeah. in and saves Martha, literally. So it's like... That that was a big connection. You With know. the, I'll do it. I'll do it. I believe you, because yeah. he knows people will kill someone's mother. He's seen it in person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that fight scene oh, when man. he saved the mother is just one of the great Batman fight scenes 
of all time. Oh, yeah, it's like the best. I think that's... Throwing into walls and into the floor, and it's just like, yes. Oh, man, it's it's even... I mean, seeing him in the, in the mech suit fight Superman is awesome, but that scene is probably the best fight scene in the whole movie. It it feels like whenever, like, um, when you play the Arkham games, I mean, that is what the Arkham games feel like, is that fight scene. That's yeah. It was so cool to see that type of Batman on screen. Well, because in the comics, you know, you you see the panels and how he's fighting, and it looks really good. Yeah. But honestly, in a lot of the movies, there's a lot of, you know, either quick motions away from the action, or it just never really lands. And this was like the first movie I've ever seen where they show Batman using both his physical skills and, and technological gadgets, yeah. skills in such an effective way to where it felt like it was possible instead of yeah. just, you know, far away throwing something, you know what I mean? Like in a lot of the other movies, it's like, he's real far away or he's fighting up close, but you can't really see it. And you're supposed to just kind of infer what's going on. I mean, yeah. this like showed you every moment without using any slow motion, without, um, the shaky cam. It was like, Look at what he's doing. We're just going to show it to you, and it was impressive. I think uh, one, of, one of Lisa's favorites. I agree, is where one of the few remaining standing villains thinks, "I'm just going to shoot him in the head. That'll stop him." Yes. Yeah. Nope. It just <laughs> it bounces off his bulletproof cowl and just just pisses him off. He just punches him several times, and then throws him into a wall. Yep. <laughs> just breaks the wall apart with his body. Just that, that uh, scene is so good whenever he, like, fires the gun and you hear that ringing and all Batman does is goes, ugh. And it just keeps yeah, like, wailing so awesome. on all of them. And it's, it, it, it's, just, it's like he's not invincible. He gets stabbed. Oh, no, yeah. Uh, he, you know, it's like it, there's a reality to it that's really cool. But I love good. that, you know, Alfred drops him off on the floor below. Mm-hmm. He yeah. blows through the floor to up above <laughs> him and there's the guy shooting down the hole. <laughs> it's like whoop nope uh sorry he's up above you now and yeah <laughs> I like- it's like the uh, scene where he takes uh the kryptonite from lex's offices yeah and you can see them watching on the monitors what oh, happens when he drops Edward. down yeah just whoop, and the guy disappears i love that <laughs> I, I like how the shadow of batman you can see just the white eyes like kind of like reminiscent to the cartoon yeah. yeah, that was so in a cool. Lot of the comics, yeah, and I also like uh, Nick pointed out that I kind of missed when he detonates that uh, those little, I guess like bomb type things that disable guns. The tech bombs, yeah. Yeah, it, it's like that creates a level of realism because I mean, there's always a temptation. I, I've noticed from reading other comics is like, at the end of the day, you almost want him to just pull out a gun, right? Because it's kind of like. Wouldn't he? But they create these scenes where he he literally doesn't need them, or they're irrelevant, or they're in the way. And I think yeah. that's really neat, like because it's it's hard to make that look convincing. Uh, yeah, just a fantastic fight scene. I was just thrilled watching every minute of it. It's like, I, yeah, that's Batman. That's that's what I want to see. I still I thought it was impressive that a follow up to the Batman, the actual Batman versus Superman fight scene. The fight scene after that was even better. Yeah. Yeah. But I think we just uh, get to see this um, Ben Affleck's Batman. I think that's what we're going to see in, in later 
films with him. Well, and I think they need to give him that moment because when it comes to the final battle, I mean, it's really more on Wonder Woman and Superman to ultimately defeat yeah, Doomsday. So they got to give Batman at least a really good couple of fights. <laughs> well, plus Batman is the one that that armored them or armed them with the the device that was able to stop. I mean, if right. Batman hadn't yeah. made that spear, there would be no way even if he, Wonder if Woman he hadn't made the gas bomb that slows him down in the first place. Yeah. True. I mean, they uh, would. Long enough for uh, Wonder Woman to throw her lasso around him and hold him still. So, um, I mean, a lot of people will criticize, like, oh, Batman didn't do anything. It's like, without Batman, Superman and Wonder Woman wouldn't have been able to do anything. Yeah, the point is that they have to work as a team. Yeah, that's yeah. what it's showing. It's like, even though he is not a metahuman or an alien, he is still very important with... Uh, his gadgets and his smarts and just, I mean, they do, they all work together. If not for all three of them, they never would have made it. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, also this movie is bringing Batman in the very first bit there where he's stuck in the car and he's about to get fried. Yeah. And says shit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, then Wonder Woman shows up and that great Wonder Woman music comes yes. in. Which is the other thing. I love the score on this film. Oh, yeah. It's great. When you, you <laughs> So for those of you listening at home, uh, Michael kind of teased me because I shared uh, an event that had something to do with Hans Zimmer. And you said, do you know who else <laughs> worked on it? Because I missed the composer <laughs> yeah, in the last episode. But yeah, Hans Zimmer did the score on this movie. <laughs> and Junkie XL. Yes. Uh, yep. I know because I'm a Junkie XL fan. <laughs> um. Interesting enough, it's like uh, when I first heard that, I always thought it was guitar. Yeah. That screen, it's cello. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, there's a video of the girl who plays the cello, and she's incredible. Yes, I've seen that. It's really, really cool. awesome. Yeah, it's just, it's such a great song, and her entrance in that movie. I mean, that's what a lot of people even look forward to in this movie. Um, I've heard complaints that she, Wonder Woman, was kind of you know, like shoehorned in, you hear that a lot, but I really don't think so. I think, especially after you watch the Wonder Woman movie and then go back to this, you see how, why she's in there and why she intervenes. And, um, it just makes that scene even stronger. And another thing I I disagree when people say she was just shoehorned in because before the justice league, there was the Trinity, which is Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman. They, They had an alliance even before they felt they formed the Justice League. So this is kind of showing you the formation of the Trinity into the Justice League in the next film. I think, I think she's an integral part of the film. Um, you know, her picture being in the, you know, tying her into Lex Luthor, that Lex Luthor's already looking into her and who mm-hmm. is this? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't see her shoe hard in at all. She's oh, no. an integral part of the entire movie. I mean, you yeah. first see her, I want to say, maybe halfway through the film. But, I mean, it's not at the very end where you first see her. You see her off and on throughout a good majority of the film. And then finally, in the end, she really becomes Wonder Woman. I think there's right. just so many Easter eggs and so many things happening in this movie that people start to feel like stuff's piled on. When really, pretty much everything in this movie, there's a purpose to it mm-hmm. that's going to lead into the next couple of films. It seems and it, it extra. It really but it's is not. a film to set up 
the Justice League and the, the rest of the uh, DC Cinematic Universe that's going to follow. Right. Um, so it's like that whole dream sequence with the Flash. It's like, no, you don't understand all of it because it's showing you stuff that's coming. It's it's getting you ready for something else, and you don't need to understand that. Just enjoy it and yeah. talk about it and wonder about it until we get a film and go, that's what it meant. Yeah, and I think you can still appreciate the core aspects of the story. There's definitely things that have finality and that are wrapped up in this movie, and that, that is basically the the two clashing ideologies of Superman and Batman. I mean, he's they're trying to figure out if the other person's a good guy, and by the end of it, they both... I mean, Superman's dead, but Batman realizes that he is, and that was kind of the big question in that movie, and then also Batman you know, kind of going astray and becoming a little off the rails, as you said. By the end of it, he's back on the rails. So I think they wrap up enough in this movie to to make it its own complete movie while still giving you um, foreshadowing and snippets that will play later. I don't feel like it was just an out-of-control train that, you know, Snyder couldn't get a hold of or anything. No, no, I think it was all very well planned and very, very well thought out. And Batman gets his faith in humanity back uh, with the, you know, the ending little speech there. Men are still good. Yeah. But but we'll be better. We have to. Um, It's like, whereas before it's like, what's it matter? (laughs) We're criminals. They're criminals. It doesn't do any good. And it's similar to the, the arc. I just keep bringing it up, I guess, because it ties in, but it's similar to the arc that Wonder Woman has in, in her movie you know, of deciding whether or not humanity is worth saving and deciding whether or not people are good at all. There's a lot of connections to this in this universe that they become more obvious, like, over time, as you see more of the movies. And I bet when we see the Justice League, once again, we're going to come back to this movie and see even more connections. And I, I like that. Yeah. Oh, so do I. And you, you did see who is taking over Helm on Justice League. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, uh, Josh Whedon. Yeah, and Josh I'm just Whedon. like, yes, <laughs> give me more Josh. That is wonderful. I, I was, know. I was sorry to see that he was leaving the Avengers series. Yeah, because uh, he said it was just too much. He goes, well, if I did that film, I'd be set for three lifetimes, but this one wouldn't be very long because um, they there are really hugely draining films to make. Right. But uh, yeah, I'm glad he's going to be finishing on up the. It's all been filmed, from what I understand. He's just going to finish up the editing and right. Yeah, shoot all the so we'll posts. probably get a little clearer story from Josh than we do from Zach. But all the visuals have already been shot, so it'll be great Zach visuals. Oh, for sure. I think they're going to be working really closely together. I think they really respect each other, and um, I think that they're sharing a vision in that sense. And it's going to be, yeah, going to, it's going to be mostly Zach's vision with Josh's input. And then, exactly. did you hear the newest new, the news about uh, the score too? Um, they're mm. replacing the composer with Danny Elfman. Oh, how cool! Yeah, back, I know. Some back people, to the classics. Yeah, some people were upset, and I was like, I'm not. I mean, as Nick said the other day, that not every uh, score that Danny Elfman does is Beetlejuice. I mean, he gave us the Batman theme. Well, I mean, think he did did the 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 Michael Keaton. Batman, mm-hmm. and he did the animated series score, which everyone loves. Right. And he did the score for <clears throat> every Tim Burton film. Yeah. 
going back to Pee-wee's Big Adventure. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I mean, every film that he does is different. And yeah, the Tim Burton films are going to have more of that Tim Burton flair. But I mean, he's just a great composer. And I, I'm not worried about his input on the Justice League. I'm just excited by it. I think it's going to sound even more epic. And I, I, I've been a big fan of his since back in his old band, Oingo Boingo. I used to see them in L.A. Oh, really? That's awesome. And so Yeah, I, I, I've met Danny a couple times um, back when he was a young man. Uh, and <laughs> I loved his band, Oingo Boingo. I was thrilled when all of a sudden he was doing the music for Batman. And I really loved his work all the way through. So, yeah, I did not know that. So that makes me very happy. Yeah, I saw it the other day on Twitter and I was like, yay. And then I saw some backlash to it and I was really surprised. You know, some people were like, oh, you know, Justice League's getting too goofy. And I'm like, I'm not worried. I mean, I was slightly worried about Wonder Woman when I heard it was funny. I thought, oh, what does that mean? And then I saw it and I was like, never mind. It was great. No complaints. Oh, it is an absolutely wonderful film. No doubt about it. And I think, you know, this movie, going back to, to VVS... I was okay with this entire movie having a darker undertone. Oh, yeah. I was totally fine with that because I think it's a heavy subject and a heavy movie. It's just setting up the rest of the movies. I don't think that Justice League is going to have a lighter tone because Zack Snyder is so scared that he changed his mind. I think it was just part of the evolution of that, it. Yeah. yeah. So I'm good with it. But, yeah, I love this movie. It's It's got flaws, but overall... I walked out of the theater just going, wow, that was great. I loved that. Couldn't wait for it to get released on uh, Blu-ray. And mm-hmm. then the ultimate version, just even more thrilled. I love the extra Lex scenes. Yep. Yeah. Um, I thought they fleshed him out much better. And just overall, I just think it's a great film to to watch. Were there some scenes, um, we were talking about Frank Miller earlier, were there some scenes from The Dark Knight Returns that kind of echo this movie specifically that you really enjoyed, Michael? Uh, very much the Superman-Batman battle. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the armored bat is right out of Frank Miller. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, Dark Knight uh, Returns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just that armor is exactly out of that. Um, uh, I if if we were going to see a Robin, I'd, I'd love it to be Carrie Kelly. <laughs> yeah, I, I do. Somebody mentioned that the other day, and I was thinking it does fit into this timeline, you know, because of how much it pulled from that novel. Yeah, He's older and, Batman. And, yeah. Um, of course, in uh, Dark Knight Returns, he had left being Batman, mm-hmm. but he still had that real kind of gritty edge to him. Um, that this is just going to hurt <laughs> rather than, you know, like we talked about the, the fifties smiling Batman and smiling Superman. It's, it's nice to see a dark side of these characters. I agree. Um, let's see. So we've talked about, I guess, most of your favorite scenes. Um, was there anything else, uh, going into the plot or points of this movie that you want I've looked you over my notes here. To oh, see yeah, if yeah, yeah. I just don't want you to miss anything because I, I've had – I'm sure this happens to everybody but and, and myself included. It's like later you'll look back and go, oh, no, I forgot to say this or that, you know. So I want to give you that opportunity just in case. Uh, I, I really like Diane Lane as Martha Kent. Yes. Yeah. Uh, she, yeah, I, I've got a few years on you guys. Um, she was the hot ingenue <clears throat> in the 80s. Yeah. 
uh, and now to see her playing, you know, the motherly Mrs. Kent is kind of cool and uh, doing a great job at it, too. Yeah, I mean, she did a really good job. I, and there, there are like like parts. This I'm a friend of your son's. He, yeah, the cape. Yeah, uh, it's funny. It's like, is she with you? I thought she was with you. For yeah, it's like there are light moments in this film that are that are cool that kind of break it for just a minute. Me coming back to this movie. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Go ahead. I really gotta say it's Affleck. His yeah. Batman, I think, is just so spot on. And Jeremy Irons' Alfred is wonderful. Yes, we should have talked more about Alfred since you cosplay Alfred, but um, I had a thought about Alfred when I first saw this. I thought that he was too close in age to Ben Affleck, but it may have been you or someone that told me, no, actually, he is older than Affleck. And and when I went back and watched it, I was like, that's true. He's just so suave. He kind of seems like about the same age, but he's not. He's not ancient like Michael Caine. Right. Um, he's got quite a few years on on Affleck in real life. So Yeah. Yeah, I mean he's been around for a long time. I've been seeing Jeremy Irons and things for years and years and years when Affleck was probably still in high school, so Gotcha. Yeah, I think that uh, also this portrayal of Alfred's interesting because he seems like somebody that could have been an MI six, I think more than some of the other portrayals we've seen like he seems like a guy with some edge to him we don't see a bumbling alfred right he's like able to keep up he handles all the tech we don't get to see lucius fox in this film i think just because there's so many characters we just didn't get to see him but he's he fits into his role as alfred really convincingly i think in sort of a more realistic way yeah Uh, he was a medic in the war he was you know he's got all this training that just fits perfectly with being Batman's, you know, right-hand man, the guy who's there for him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so let's see. So we talked about that and I had another thought, but then I lost it as happens to me a lot. But, um, but yeah, I, I think that, um, he, he's really great in that film as well. Uh, Oh, well, I guess we should both talk about what keeps us coming back. So Nick and I saw this twice in the theater. Is that right? Two or three times. Yeah. And then we watched, like you, Michael, we watched the extended cut. Um, that blew me away. I'm like, wow, how did they pack this much into, I think, like 13 or 14 minutes or something like that? Yeah. yeah there's a lot there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it made the movie I, make so much more sense, like you guys were I saying. I thought it smoothed the movie out a lot. Yeah. 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 Uh, that was one thing I remember watching the theater and thinking it felt a little choppy. Yes. Yeah, it's because it had kind of jumping chunks taken out of it here and there. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, and it becomes so much of a smoother narrative when you watch the ultimate version. I read a review of uh, of this movie, a negative review that said that the movie was like having your head in a beehive for two and a half hours <laughs> because it's just like so much happening, and it made me laugh because I was like, it, it did feel like it was a lot, and then. The other issue that I thought I could see people having, as I mentioned before, was all the dreams and visions. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, are the dreams and visions really part of the movie or are they interrupting the movie for a future movie? But I think when you see the extended cut, then they fit in a lot better. Yeah. Um, but what, I think what keeps me coming back, I had a coworker who, and I'm not going to throw any shade at Marvel, so don't worry, but he said that he saw Civil War. You know, obviously, the the Marvel equivalent of this is Civil War. 
that's just the truth. Right. Like they both it's tried to beat each other to put this movie out first. Other. Right. Um, but he said one thing that he felt about civil war after watching this movie was this movie left him with a lot of questions and a lot of things to think about. But with civil war, he walked out thinking it was over, you know? And so I think for me, I agree with him. I think what, what sticks with this movie a little bit more is that it leaves a lot of questions and, and it asks a lot of bigger questions, I guess. And it gave me a lot to think about and wonder about and to go back and watch again and again and try to get more out of it. Well, this the, the issue wasn't 100% resolved. There's still... Because, I mean, Superman died during the fight. They They never were actually able to resolve anything. They yeah. teamed up because they needed to. And then, and then he, he died. died. So it's really, they never were able to talk Although, about what well, was Well, that's true. Uh, there, there is a amount of trust that Superman gave Batman. Yeah. True. To that's save true. his, his like, mother. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I will go save the world, but you're going to take care of my mom, right? <laughs> and so that, that was a lot of bonding right there for true. him to do that. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, like, just leaving open-ended questions, having more to go back and digest, and, you know, that's that's what I like about this movie, is that it, it gives me that in a way that I felt like with um, Civil War I didn't get. Like, I thought at the end of Civil War it was like, there was a letter written, they were good again. I, I, I kind of wanted more out of that. I would have um, higher stakes. Yeah, higher stakes. I felt like there was a lot of stakes in this movie. They killed off Superman. I thought that was great that they were able to like wrap it up that way. Um, I have, I have some friends that uh, didn't or don't know a lot about the comics or I've heard people that don't know a lot about, they're like, is he coming back? And it's like, come yeah. on. <laughs> he is. Yeah. At the end of the film, the dirt rises. Yeah. See the, the little anti-gravity thing going on over his coffin there. And it's like, yeah, he's, he's coming back. Yeah. He's yeah. to go through his like Kryptonian regenerative coma for so long and then oh, he'll be fine. I know who I was thinking of. I was tell, I was talking to my dad about this today cause we were going to record this episode and he said, I just have no interest in that movie and don't they kill Superman? I don't want to see that. <laughs> and like, I think that a lot of people really feel that way. Like they're like, I don't want to see that. And it's like, there's two camps of people that, that want that and that don't. And I'm one of the people that I do. I want to see, like you said, Nick, real stakes. I want to see something actually happen at the end. Uh, a lot of superhero movies don't go there, and I want to see that. So that's that's why I keep coming back to it. Um, and I would say to someone that hasn't seen this yet, number one, watch the extended cut. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, it makes get, a lot get more the sense. Full story. And then. And number- you shouldn't have listened this far into the podcast. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it ruined the entire movie for you. <laughs> yeah, I'll probably tell him, don't listen to my podcast. <laughs> um, and I think also one thing that I really like about Zack Snyder is he is putting these bigger themes about, you know, God and man. And um, it's continued in Wonder Woman with, you know, higher beings, you know, and this question of should humanity be saved? It's not really like a direct... Um, it's not trying. It's he's not injecting like his religious viewpoint. They're just metaphors to tell a bigger story. I think, and I like that. I think that's a really exciting part of what he does. And I think I would like to see more themes like that in more superhero movies. So that's one thing I would say. And then the other thing I would say is that um, you know, give this movie a chance because you've heard a lot of really negative things about it. Watch the extended cut. Uh, come back to me if you have questions. <laughs> but um, 
you know, embrace the idea that characters may go a little bit offbeat. I mean, we have 75 years with these characters, and we all have an idea of what Superman and Batman is like. And if I asked all three of us, we may have a different answer. But I think it's okay to play around with those concepts as long as you bring them back to the core of who they are. And I think Zack Snyder does that. And I think he gets a bad rap of that he doesn't do that, that he changed them too much. And I really don't think that's what he's doing. I think he just he he picked a different version that someone might not be familiar with. Yeah, uh, which is very true and always my it's well it wasn't just like the comics. It's like which one? Right, yeah. there's so many because versions. All of these characters have had so, so many, many different iterations. They've been yeah. around for so long. They've been restarted. You can't say it wasn't like the comics because the comics aren't like the comics. Yeah, and that's what's exciting and fun about them is that they get reinvented. They get told a different way. If you don't like how they're told in one way, you can just read a different Yeah, the newest era. version of DC Comics is called Rebirth. Right. Right. And, and – oh, go ahead. I, I, it's, it's – I think the characters are very true to exactly who they are at the period of time in which they are. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And particularly for being 20 years in. Dark Knight Returns is where we really look at that, and this is just like he is in Dark Knight Returns, so he is exactly like the comics. Right, and I think that uh, they had said, uh, or the producers of this movie were really surprised by people's reaction because, you know, they said audiences were like, we want this movie. And so they they interpreted that as they want this. You know, they want this darker version of, of Batman and him fighting Superman and what it takes to get to that point. And then when they give it to the audience, they don't want it. And it's like, I think what people's biggest fear is kind of what I touched on earlier, where um, you're taking them through his character arc and taking them back around to what we are more familiar or comfortable with. I'm okay with them doing that with characters, but I recognize that it doesn't land with everybody clearly, or it wouldn't have gotten the reception that it did. Um, Yeah. I think this will be one that will be vindicated with time. Yeah, I agree. As the universe moves on, uh, I think it's already starting to be looked at a little better after Wonder Woman. I agree. Yeah, it's yeah. like this is this just is one movie. This is you know this is growing. This is building. It's going to be great. Right. This is one part of the story. Instead of looking at it as you know these characters are going to have to stay just like they are in this movie. They're not. They they're going. They're evolving, and they'll evolve into the what they become in the next story. And I, you know, I think that's only a good thing. I also heard one last thought about uh, Wonder Woman as it relates to this movie. I heard, you know, people have the criticism that Wonder Woman, uh, you know, at the end of the movie, she seems to end on a really high note. And yet in BVS, she's, you know, sort of a little doom and gloom with humanity. But I think the connection you see from that movie to this movie is she doesn't really want to intervene unless it's something bigger than just people. Um She's not going to be a dictator. She's not going to jump in every time something is going wrong with humanity. But Doomsday was not human. Not human. And Which they did such a nice job showing in the film because she yeah. keeps looking at the news. Right. And, nope, I'm getting packed. Nope, I'm getting on the plane. Nope. <laughs> it's a, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, it's <laughs> I'm like. I'm getting off the plane. It's like this is bigger than just these two guys having a fight. I've got to get out there. Right. And then that sets up the next story, you know, at the end of the movie when Batman says that he has a feeling, um, 
you know, he, he's seen firsthand that something can come out of the sky and fight them. Yeah. <laughs> so he's ready for the next big thing. He knows there's more coming. And that kind of gives her permission to step back into her role as Wonder Woman because now there is going to be something greater that she's going to have to fight. And plus, it makes that scene where she's fighting Doomsday and having so much fun fighting him, like, uh-huh. exciting because <clears throat> by the oh, end of it. that scene where yeah. she gets knocked back, gives that big smile and goes right back in. Yeah. yeah. Because she's a warrior and she kind of craves battle, but in, in the Wonder Woman movie, she kind of learns that battle isn't necessarily something to crave. And I think she also learns not to jump into every battle. And this yeah. time it's like, oh, I'm allowed to. I get to fight again. This is exciting for me, you know. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I agree with all your points, Michael. I was so excited you wanted to touch on this movie because, I mean, like, I think we talked about it back at AllCon earlier this year. Um, you were like, that's the movie that I want to talk about first. Well, it it was, it was because it got such a bad reputation that Mm -hmm. this is the one I want to talk about. It's like, I could go on for, we could do years of podcasts with movies (laughs) I love, but this is what I want to talk about now. It's like, yes, this is a really good movie and don't let people tell you it isn't. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this has been awesome. Um, and I really appreciate you for coming on this podcast. I definitely want to do other movies. I know we talked about some other films that you wanted to talk about. Um, I think you and Daniel wanted to do a Superman 2. <laughs> yes, yes. And then, uh, yeah. Because we ended up talking after he did his. It was like, then he was like, yeah, I, I have Michael do Superman 2 with me because this will be fun. Yes. Yeah, and, and I think that would be great. And then any other movie that you can think of, too, like – you know, this has been really good and I appreciate you for coming on and hope you had a good time. We had some technical difficulties tonight for the audience. I'll probably edit all those out, but you were really patient with all that. So I appreciate that too. <laughs> no problem at all. Uh, next one will be a Kubrick film. Yes. I would love that. Those are some yeah. of my favorite movies. Either Clockwork Orange or 2001. Um, those are just visual feasts. And also a favorite of Zack Snyder. So (laughs) there you go, bringing it back full circle. Well, thank you very much for having me on. It's been a blast, and I love this movie. Great. I I love love this movie, too. (laughs) Yeah, thank you so much, and we will talk to you soon. All righty. Have fun. Bye. 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 Hey, guys. Thanks so much for listening. That was so fun. There's probably a movie out there that you love, that everybody hated, and you just wish you had an hour or two to just explain and plead your case. Uh, A while back, Michael had reached out to me saying he wanted to do that with this movie and I supported him and I 100% agreed. So it was just such a fun episode for us to kind of dive into why we love this movie. Um, If you want to give us your feedback, we would welcome it. Uh, Again, keep it positive. (laughs) Correct us and, you know, give us your opinion from a standpoint of love. But you can reach me on Twitter at AYA Lisa Cosplay. I also have an Instagram account. You can reach me at AYA, and as a Nancy, AMI Lisa, all one word. And then um, if you want to chat with other like-minded movie lovers, we also have a closed Facebook group called I Love That Movie. But just send me a request. I'll add you to the group. This is your safe space to discuss movies that you love, even if not everybody loved them. We will not judge you, <laughs> and we will happily discuss it with you. I love it because... I could talk about movies all day and it's great to just escape to this little group and just talk with them and they just they're always ready to discuss stuff that I love and I I really like that so would love to hear from you guys um thank you so much and um 
let's see. I think that I don't have a lot of news this week. I think that's it. I, I look forward to hearing from you guys, and I will talk to you all next week. Thanks.